So, um, hey everybody, how y'all doing? Um, it's been a minute. We're going to kick off season two of A Moment with Eric Fleming podcast. Um, I'm trying something a little different in introducing the podcast via uh, Facebook Live. Uh, I did not make any announcements that I would do that. Um, just decided that we try it and, and see how it works. Um, and I guess since the end of season one, which was in December, a lot of things have happened with us. And uh, I initially, when I started this podcast, I wanted it to only be like a half hour Um uh, and then eventually became like an hour-long podcast. Um, today is probably going to be an hour-long podcast because uh, so much stuff has happened since the last time uh, we did this. Um, and for us as black people, this is kind of a unique time for us. We have, for a number of years, dealt with adjusting to our informal status as second-class citizens. Uh, there have been moments in our history um, where um, we have felt like or that we have pushed ourselves to believe that we are um, first-class citizens. Um, one of those moments, of course, is when Barack Obama got elected president. Um, when you've seen black people demonstrate, uh, whether it was the Million Man March in 95 or... Um, the March on Washington in 63 or our numerous other occasions, we have kind of put ourselves in a situation where um, we have um, put our, became in a sense proud of who we are and proud of the fact that we were making an impact in American society. Um, we have fought in wars for this country. Um, we have served in the military during peacetime. Um, we have entertained this country a great deal, uh, whether it's through sports or through music. Um, a lot of things that started off as trends in the black community uh, have become fashion trends throughout the world. And we have to remind ourselves that this journey in America started literally around 401 years ago um, when we were brought over as slaves, right? So when we, when we started this journey, we knew we were less than full citizens. When we started this journey, we knew that by law, when the Constitution came up for this country, we were three-fifths of a man, right? We're three-fifths of a human being. So we have tried to, since that point, value ourselves more than that, right? We have tried to put ourselves in a situation where uh, our worth, our contributions to this country would be valued. And at times, it seems like that has happened. But then we're reminded that maybe not. Maybe we are not respected for what we've done. Maybe we're not uh, the citizens that... Uh, this country will respect. 
But we have carried on anyway. We have decided that we are going to do what needs to be done, whether it's taking care of our families, um, whether it's uh, performing our duties at our jobs, uh, whatever the case may be, uh, we have been pushing through all of this. And uh, it's, it's gotten to the point now where you think that um, we could uh, see a lot of gains. And, and to be honest, we have seen gains, right? And if it seems a little disjointed, it's because, you know, for years and years, if people don't know my story, um, I grew up in Chicago, Illinois, on the south side. And during that time, um, I would say it was a good moment to be black, right? Now, it wasn't because we were treated any special way in Chicago as compared to anywhere else in the country, but it was a time period where black folks, those 18 years, from 65 to 83, black folks asserted themselves to the point that by the time we were seniors in high school, we were in the process of electing a black man to be mayor of the city. Uh, and if you understand the history of Chicago, how monumental that was. And now that we have another black mayor, a female even, uh, is even more instrumental. Uh, uh, inspirational, I guess. Uh, but the Chicago story is a, is a whole nother story that we need to get into um, later on in this in this this conversation. But growing up during that time, you you felt a sense of pride. You felt a sense of of worth because the teachers at the schools made you feel that way. Um, the pastors and the community that, that shepherd their, the shepherd of their flocks made you feel that way. Uh, you still had a feel where neighbors paid attention to what children were doing, even if they weren't their own children. And so you had this sense of community, the sense of pride, the sense of connectivity, right? That helped us get through whatever else was going on. And it was, it was about self-sustaining because I tell people all the time and people think I'm joking, but we didn't really need to interact with white folks <laughs> when I was growing up. I mean, everything we needed was in our community, whether it was the grocery store, the department stores, the banks, the barbers, the whatever we needed. You know, it didn't matter whether it was a national chain or a mom and pop. We had that in our community. And so if we went downtown, we interacted. If we worked downtown, we interacted. If we went to sporting events, we interacted, but we didn't need to. It wasn't essential for us um, going forward. So to come then to Mississippi and go to college, I, and, I, and I tell people this, and they still don't believe it. I interacted with more white people in Mississippi than I did in Chicago, right? Because, you know, it was, it was a different interaction. Even though people say, well, Mississippi folks are more prejudiced and blah, blah, this and the other. There was a connectivity where you as a black person and you as a white person in Mississippi really had to interact a lot of times. Um, you know, you had some areas, being in Jackson, Mississippi, you had areas where you didn't really have to deal with white people, but it wasn't quite the same in Chicago. Um, and it was a different time. It was a different marketing strategy, right? Whereas instead of just having a presence in the community, um, you had your presence where you thought you could make money and 
as suburban areas became stronger. Um, that's where most of the big box chains and everything else set up instead of in the inner city, right? So, uh, you had to interact with white people more in the South than you did in Chicago, uh, especially Mississippi. But that helped me because uh, throughout college and once I got out of college, then it was about uh, being involved in the political scene. Uh, I was very fortunate to be an elected official in Mississippi. I was very fortunate to have some kind of... Uh, role to play um, in a lot of the political discussions and actions that took place, uh, various jobs, you know, and just experiences all together. Uh, I have been very fortunate to have raised a son uh, who is a Mississippian, uh, who will be going to Mississippi State in the fall, hopefully, uh, and we'll get to that. Um, so, you know, and, and that was a unique relationship because his mother and I divorced. And so I wasn't in the house every day with him. So I had to have a unique relationship with him. But to watch him develop and grow, um, and especially in a society where he was more interactive with white people at that age than I was, right? Um and the technology is way cooler now than it was when when I or everybody, people my age were growing up, right? So um, having experienced all that, to try to now put it together where we need to assess where we are and how we go forward, right? How to deal with the people who are pushing the envelope, if you will, for change and how to deal with some of the folks who have been designated, who have designated themselves as gatekeepers um, in this time, how to manage around them and how to still deal with people who prefer a time when we were segregated or uh, we were still three-fifths of a person. And I say that, and, and people are like saying, Eric, nobody thinks like that anymore. Yes, they do. And if they don't say it out loud, they it's in the recesses of their mind. It's in the culture in which they grew up in. It's in the way that they were socialized, right? Um, that's just truth. And people want to deny that. People want to say that racism is not as bad as it was. No, I think it's more sophisticated than what it was. It was like in your face back in the day. Now it's kind of like, what kind of public policy can we do uh, to keep the scales tilted to our advantage um, as opposed to uh, being equal, right? Because a lot of people fear that true equality means they lose, which is insane. Because if it's equal, it's equal, right? But there are people who really feel that if black people gain anything politically, if they gain anything economically, if they gain anything socially to the point where maybe 50 years down the road, people will be talking about black privilege, right? Um, <laughs> heaven forbid that. But um, there are people that are afraid that that's going to happen. So we know that there are elements out there that do that. And, and you can look at political rhetoric and see that it's still out there. Uh, and, and the, the main person who is doing that is the leader of our nation. It doesn't thrill me to say that, but 
before we do like kind of this, let's catch up everything. Let's deal with something that's happening right this minute. Right. So today at some point, I don't know what time, but at some point the president of the United States is going to Tulsa, Oklahoma to have a rally. And, uh, Originally, he had chose, yeah, so I, as I'm recording this, it's um, June 20th, right? On June 19th, which would be yesterday, um, the president originally had scheduled that event. Now, for those of you and very few of my Facebook friends will fall in this category. But for those of you who listen to the podcast who may not understand why that was a big deal, June 19th is what we call Juneteenth in the black community. It is the day when a general named Gordon Garner led Union troops into Galveston, Texas, and he made a proclamation which was basically citing that the Emancipation Proclamation had been ratified and that those individuals who were considered slaves in Texas were no longer slaves, right? And uh, a lot of people say, well, that's the end of, that was the end of slavery. That's why we commend it. And we can choose to celebrate that as a holiday to say that was the end of slavery, Right. But in actuality, slavery didn't end until the 13th Amendment was ratified in December of that year. So even though slavery was practiced in a very small part of the country after the Civil War, slavery didn't officially end until the 13th Amendment was ratified. But Juneteenth has been designated as a day to celebrate the end of slavery because since the slaves in Texas were, Texas was a remote part of the Confederacy. Um, and they basically were the last folks to know that Emancipation Proclamation had been done two and a half years prior to the announcement. Um, we have colloquially said that that was the end of slavery, right? And so now there's a move to make it a state holiday or a national holiday altogether. And it's fine, Right. Um, and I don't have a problem with that, but the president of the United States obviously was not aware that this was going on in the, in the country that he leads. And so for him, knowing his efforts, his political efforts to divide the nation for his, for his advantage, um, he had to be told that's going too far. Now, any other president, any other time, any time previous to that, if they had a political event on June the 19th, nobody had to, no, it was never a big deal. So why this president? Well, like I just said, his whole political rhetoric has been to divide. And that was confirmed by his former secretary of defense recently, uh, who said he had never seen a politician so determined to divide a nation, right? So some people in the African-American community that Donald Trump listens to um, advise them that probably June 19th is not a good day, right? And so he moved it to the 20th. Now, the problem is the location still because because when you when you brought up that wound about Juneteenth, you also brought up the wound about June 1st, 1921. On June 1st, 1921, the worst racial incident in American history took place. The Greenwood District in Tulsa, Oklahoma was considered the wealthiest district for African-Americans at that time, even more so than Harlem, right? And, uh, there was a situation. And again, most of my Facebook friends know this, but this is for the benefit of the podcast listeners that may not. 
Uh, there was a situation where a 19-year-old black man who was a shoe shiner was accused of raping a 17-year-old white girl who was an elevator operator. Um, uh, he was he was initially not charged, but somehow he was uh, uh, arrested. Um, well, later on he was arrested. And uh, he was going to be released. And so, because um, the local authorities didn't have anything to substantiate what was going on. And so, um, a group of white individuals decided that they were going to handle that. And they showed up to greet the young man once he got out. Well, some black men found out that these white folks were going down there to deal with this young 19-year-old black man. And so they went down there with weapons. And they took at least 10 of those white guys out. Right? So that basically triggered a riot of over 24 hours in which some accounts said that private aircraft was used to drop incendiary devices and neighborhoods and houses and all that. Uh, and it destroyed uh, 35, 35 blocks. It, it destroyed a, 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 a major part of that community, it literally destroyed that Greenwood community for, for all practical purposes. 8,000 people were homeless after that. And there were no reparations for that, by the way. Um, so because of that, um, there has always been a sore spot. And, and that was, like I said, 99 years ago. Um, as far as relations, and Tulsa is still pretty much the blackest city in, in Oklahoma. Um, but there has been a tension that uh, will continue to happen um, in that city until some form of reparations or whatever. And, and, and so again, the whole thing about the presidential rally was location, and timing, right? So that leads us all the way into what, why would that be a problem, right? Why would uh, the President of the United States having a rally at that day in that place would be an issue? And I just touched on some of the black stuff, right? We ain't even got to the public health stuff, which, by the way, I'm sure everybody knows. Uh, we're in a pandemic, not an epidemic, not an aberration, a pandemic, meaning worldwide, there is a virus that's identified as COVID-19 or colloquially called the coronavirus that has impacted every country in the world. The only continent that hasn't been affected is Antarctica because really ain't nobody there but some scientists and now unless they've been traveling you know so far nobody has reported that they've had it down there but the other six continents have had it. And for some reason, the United States of America, North America, this continent has been hit hardest. And the United States went from just having literally a handful of cases to now being the hotspot on the planet for this virus. And even though we have taken some steps to 
mitigated to a certain degree. Um, we have not stopped it. And even though people are trying to conduct normal business and now masks have become fashion, uh, you know, part of our attire, just like some of our Asian brothers and sisters, excuse me, earlier on with, you know, other viruses that took place and even the pollution problem that they deal with. Um, we still do not have a handle on it. And we're, we're, we've been looking for, been concerned about this second wave coming, right? So the president of the United States having a rally with 19,000 people in a building in close quarters, from a health standpoint, probably is not a good idea. But he's going to do it anyway. And that uh, masks are not required because we have a culture where people should be allowed to um, do what they want to do and uh, express themselves the way they want to express themselves, right? Even the Oklahoma Supreme Court agreed with that logic. So, and it's gotten, which is absolutely ridiculous, it's gotten to be uh, a political thing to wear a mask. If you're a Democrat, you wear a mask. If you're a Republican, you don't. That's insane. If you're a human being, wear a mask. Get as much protective equipment as possible as required by your job. If your job only requires that you have a mask and wear gloves, do that. If your job requires that you wear a fool's outfit, do that. Um, do what you need to do to protect yourself and protect others. Period. Um, but so now we're dealing with a political rally that the timing is bad as far as when the weekend you want to have it. The location is bad based on the history of that city. And the overall environment, the American uh, experience right now. Do you really want to expose nearly 20,000 people to each other in close proximity? Do you want to force that to happen? I think that's stupid. But that's where we are. So, um, I guess that was one way to catch up. I jumped all the way from my life story to uh, a presidential rally today and didn't talk about and just touched on lightly the other stuff that's leading uh, to that. Um, and I mentioned the riots and the riot in Tulsa that was generated by white racist or a society, racist society that allowed that kind of behavior to be normal and totally ignored the fact that our people are in the streets right now. And they're in the streets because they feel as though that justice is not being served. And so on the other side, we're going to talk about that. And uh, why it's important for us as African Americans to have justice served. All right, catch you on the other side. All right, and so we're back, and uh, 
Where we left off, we were talking about what I had omitted, which was a lot of us out in the street and why we're out. So besides the pandemic happening, right, basically from the start of the year or the end of last year until currently, uh, we have had some situations that reminded us of our status and the fact that we're still at war culturally with fellow Americans, right? And war may seem like a strong word, but how else would you explain what happens? Um, Because of where I am and what I'm doing now, for those of you who don't know, I'm in Atlanta, um, been here now since 2017, uh, and I, and and I've been limited in my political activity here. Uh, my wife has has run for a public office, um, and I've supported her. And I have tried to engage with some people that I tend to like. Um, there have been people that I've met before. Uh, in previous things when I was in Mississippi that are now here and they ran for office and all that kind of stuff. So, but I've really, really compared to what I was doing back in Mississippi, I'm really, really limited in that. And there's a reason for that. Um, but you know, part of what I do, there's some events that I can't really talk about or, it's probably best for me not to really get into my opinion about that, but one in particular, I, I'm going to say, um, and I may get in trouble for that, but as a black man, what happened in Minnesota and Minneapolis with George Floyd was beyond the pale. To me, it was very similar. Um, very, very similar to the Eric Garner situation as far as you blatantly saw something happening. Whether you're a citizen or a fellow police officer, you blatantly saw something happening and you allowed it to continue and somebody died, right? Excuse me, in our case, it was, you know, an African-American male who was unarmed, right? Um, you know, you're taught about getting people to comply to commands, right? And you want to encourage people. We I, There was some news station locally that talked about the talk, right? That we as black parents have with our children about how to respond to law enforcement and, and all that. Um, so you you want to encourage people not to physically resist if possible, right? Especially if you feel that you're innocent and you feel that you haven't done anything wrong or you're not knowingly done anything wrong. You try to encourage people not to physically resist, right? And I, even at my work at ACLU, we told people you can't win the fight in the street. You could possibly win it in the court but you can't you can't win it in the street, right? It's not advisable for you to fight it in the street. Um, and so, you know, but even in, at that, there's no excuse for what happened to Eric Garner or George Floyd, none. And uh, as somebody who takes my profession very seriously, um, who has uh, been privileged to deal with it in the past and now dealing with it again, um, there is a need for society to regulate itself and to be regulated, but never to the point where people feel threatened at the presence that people feel that they won't make it home to their families 
uh, or won't be able to contact their loved ones ever again because of an encounter. That just doesn't make any sense. That's not what this is all about. You know, I mean, all of us in our generation, all of us grew up with gangster movies, right? Uh, whether it's modern iterations like Colors or Scarface or the old ones like Public Enemy, uh, the TV show The Untouchables, <clears throat> whatever, right? We, we've been exposed to that, Bonnie and Clyde, all that kind of stuff. And you, you don't understand the socialization, the power of that socialization until you see things acted out in a crazy way. Um, I never had the desire to get into a gunfight <laughs> based on watching those movies or anything. I think I was discouraged to do it, right? Uh, and, uh, or to be involved with, you know, abusing uh, people as far as, uh, you know, I'm the good guy, so I'm going to slam you around and handcuff you, all that kind of stuff. Wasn't exactly my motivation to do things, but for some people it is. And that's a reality that needs to be checked at the door. But even more so than that, it's a level of respect that has to happen. And it goes back to the initial part of this podcast where we talked about the history of this country and how it was actually documented that we were only three-fifths of a person, right? And that uh, we were more of a commodity rather than a fellow human being. And there are people who still think that. They may not say it out loud, or they may say it out loud. They may say it in social media, uh, whether it's in a WhatsApp, which is, I guess, encrypted, or blast it out there on Facebook and Twitter when we all find out about it uh, afterwards, you know, after they've done something heinous, right? Because nobody's really paying attention to them other than their circle. So I think that, <clears throat> and this is really what this whole movement has been about. When people say Black Lives Matter and all this other stuff, the whole purpose of the movement is no more than uh, the sanitation workers in 1968 saying, I am a man, right? It's no different um, than the NAACP hanging a banner saying a lynching took place yesterday, right? It's still about respecting other human beings, especially those of us who, whether you call yourself black, African-American, back then, Negro, or uh, colored, whatever, right? Our race of people deserve to be respected. Bottom line. Our lives have value. Uh, our relationships have value. Our contributions have value. And it should be treated as such. And for anybody not to think that in the 21st century has a mindset that doesn't belong in the 21st century. Um, they need to uh, understand that that way of thinking is passe. It's over with. It's done. You, you can't continue to think that it's okay to treat somebody less than human. You can't continue to think that it's okay to disregard the humanity of other people, uh, their feelings, their concerns, their, their ideas, their contributions. It's time out for that. And whether it's in our political leadership whether it's in our law enforcement, whether it's in the business community, whether it's at the damn grocery store, right? 
that way of thinking has to end. Uh, and, you know, it just goes back to a saying we used to say, even before 2019, 400 years is, is enough. It's enough. It's, it's, it's enough time for you to get that kind of mindset, to get that kind of thought process out of your system. And it's time to start something new. You would think in a, in a society where people have to be conscious of each other's health, right? That, again, like we're wearing masks now and we're making sure that our hygiene skills are up to point, on point. That we're, we're showing a concern of, of humanity towards each other. Um, we actually are expressing when we wear a mask or wear gloves or whatever that we care about a fellow human being and we don't want them to get ill. We don't want to get sick, right? So there's a value to yourself. Why does that not translate into anything else? Why do we accept in our politics that it's okay not to be respectful? Why does our public policies have to be disrespectful toward other communities? Why, do, why does anybody think that they can have a political advantage by being disrespectful? Why do we tolerate that? Why do we continue to accept that low common denominator with people who supposedly work for us, who's supposed to serve and protect us? There's standards that have to be met in any, any particular thing that you do. It doesn't matter whether it's Law enforcement, it doesn't matter whether it's athletics, it doesn't matter whether it's academics, it doesn't matter whether it's politics. There are certain standards that have to be met. There's certain criteria that needs to be followed in order for people to advance further. And when we when we act lax in enforcing those standards, when we act like we don't care. Then we get these results. And then we have people in the street saying, obviously this is not working. We need to get rid of it, right? So of course I'm not in favor of defunding the police to the point where we need to eliminate police. But I do think there needs to be some changes. I don't think the police department needs to be as militarized as the U.S. Army or the U.S. Marine Corps. I don't think that um, people that have positions that are detrimental to interacting with all of the citizens in a respectful way if they've got a mindset that they're prejudicial or uh, they have disdain for other people, they don't need to be in that profession. And, uh, and when I say that profession, you know, I, I say law enforcement, but really in anything that you do, how can you be a white guy and play sports and not respect black people <laughs> or Latino people or Asian. How can you, how can you, how can you be in something that interactive and you don't respect a person's choice of their sexual orientation? How do you, how do you coexist in that world like that? 
I would imagine it's pretty difficult. And so we have got to, and 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 that, and again, I say sports, but I just throw that example. The reality in this world is we have to learn how to coexist. You can have a preference, right? B.F. Skinner talked about what is man, and he, he said that we have preferences and we have prejudices. The danger, though, is incorporating those preferences and prejudices into the institutions that govern society, into the institutions that play into the cultural norms of society, right? That's the danger. Human beings are going to like some human beings and dislike others, right? There are black people that don't like certain black people. There are white people that don't like certain white people, right? That's global. That's worldwide. There are some folks you don't want showing up at the family reunion. We get that. That's okay. But you cannot create a system anymore. You cannot create institutions anymore. Or you cannot corrupt institutions anymore that play off of those prejudices, that play off of those preferences. It's time out for that. People get offended because you start talking about white privilege and all that stuff. Okay, let's just imagine the people, how offended they are that don't have the white privilege, right? I mean, you got to start taking yourself out of your comfort zone and dealing with other people and and meet them where they are. You're not going to totally understand the black experience if you're not black, right? You're not going to understand it. And the black experience for me is different than the black experience for a brother in Harlem or a sister in Iowa, or a family in Idaho, right? The black experience is a black experience for those black people. There are some things that are common, but there's a lot of things that are unique. So we're not even monolithic in the quote-unquote black experience. But the reality is, is that we all need to be respected. And that's that's the bottom line in all of this stuff. We've, we've got to be respected. We've got to respect others and be respected in a turn. I, I, don't, I don't expect everybody to like me. I don't expect everybody and their grandmama to follow this podcast. I don't expect everybody to vote for me whenever I run for office. But I do expect as a human being to be respected if I respect you. I do think that my life is important, that it matters because I have family that thinks it does. And most of us have some kind of family that values our existence on this planet. So I'm hoping that as we continue this dialogue, as we watch these demonstrations develop, as we watch this political process continue to take shape during this presidential election year, as we see a generation of folks being energized to be vocal, and to take a stand, right? It is my hope that people harness the positivity in that and not try to um, exploit it. Of course, people will exploit it because that's human nature, but, <clears throat> excuse me, it's it's not a... It's not a normal situation, right? Um, it's not a natural situation always to exploit good stuff. So I'm hoping that this energy that's being harnessed is harnessed for good. I'm hoping that uh, we continue to press forward 
and not allow people to um, usurp something that's great. And that goes back to something I alluded to with the gatekeepers. And again, I'm reminding people, <clears throat> this first podcast is is also being recorded on Facebook Live. So there are people that are saying hi. And so I see a former student from Piney Woods. What's up, sir? Uh, another young man who I'm very proud of, Mr. Chandler. Happy, uh, hello to you. Um, I, you know, um, I, I get real sensitive about the gatekeeper thing because it's always a battle within our community, right? Those of us who who seek change, right? Who seek a a uh, positive voice at the table. Um, a lot of our hindrance is not the powers that be that we identify as white people or we categorize as white supremacy or white, you know, privilege or whatever the case may be. That's not always our enemy. Um, our enemy is usually our own folks, right? Who systematically have positioned themselves where they have attained something in an institution. And then they do their part, whether instructed or not, because some people voluntarily do this, <laughs> um, to control how many of us get to attain or even be close to the status that they have achieved. And so I want them to understand this about what's going on with the movement. There's always been two, there's always been a, two philosophies as far as leadership change. It's either going to be evolutionary or it's going to be revolutionary, right? If, if it's going to be evolutionary, that means that you have a hand in making sure that the next generation of leaders are properly trained, that they understand what to expect and, and what to what to look forward to, what to watch out for and what to what to what skill they need to build up. Right. Helping them make the connections they need to make. Um, develop to get the skill set that they need to have, right? That's what evolutionary leadership looks like. Whereas like one group leaves and the next wave comes in, right? And it just keeps moving forward. Just like a true line, right? If you've got a line of defense, you're dealing with some people who are who are trying to evade or do some damage and you got a line of protectors and you roll right on in and then as soon as you get tired another wave of people come right behind you and come on in that's that's what leadership is supposed to look like that another wave is supposed to come in <clears throat> that's the evolutionary side now the revolutionary side means that since you are unwilling to teach us, since you are unwilling to share with us, since you're unwilling to surrender the power to the next generation, then we'll just take it. And we'll basically say, y'all are too old and uh, you're out of touch. Uh, you don't have a connection with the community anymore. So we're going to push you out. And you see a lot of gatekeepers trying to pander to that, you know, and saying, oh, no, well, we understand. We feel your pain and da, 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 this, that, and other. But they still are systematically trying to make sure that those folks don't get in. Because they want to maintain their power. And so they're trying to convince 
the folks that want power, it's not your time yet. Trust me on this one. Right? <clears throat> and and all you have really as an elected official is trust. All you actually have as public servant is your word. Right? It's the only commodity you really can trade and get value off of. But people, gatekeepers don't care about that. And I'm not going to sit there and identify them. Uh, They know who they are. And if they know me, they know I'm very capable (laughs) of identifying them and putting them on blast. But that's not my purpose. My purpose is not necessarily to put anybody on blast more so than maybe the president because he's he chose to be in that position. Any president, whether it's Obama, Bush, Trump, Clinton, whoever, you know, you put yourself in that position because you're the leader of the nation, right? The elected leader. But all these other folks, right, who represent districts and uh, states, uh, whatever, right? Um, y'all know who y'all are. Um, the organizations that you lead, y'all, y'all know who y'all are. And at the appropriate time and an appropriate venue, we can call you out. Because that's a battle that needs to be central and not scattershot. But overall, though, I want you to watch what's happening in these streets. I want you to pay close, close attention to what's happening. Don't get turned off, uh, you know, turned off and turned on by numbers. Don't get caught up in appearance. Don't be distracted by destructive forces. You need to pay attention to what these young people are saying to you as well as to others. You need to focus in on the message that they are expressing. And you need to see the makeup. Because as much as we still have struggles in the black community, we cannot be isolated. It was a famous writer that said, no man is an island. If we are to achieve what we want to achieve as black people, then we have to get a buy-in from everybody else. And that's why respect is important. If you hear what I am saying, if you pay attention to how I'm feeling, then we can have a positive interaction because you can help me alleviate my pain. You can help me attain that respect. Right? And if you look at the makeup of the of the people who are protesting now, it's not just black folk. It's everybody. Or it looks like everybody. Which means that the politics, the policy decisions, all these other things, have to be inclusive, like the way these these crowds look, right? So that's just food for thought. Uh, I am glad that uh, we've kicked this second season off. Um, it's been interesting to try to do it uh, simultaneous with Facebook Live, and we'll probably do that again um, but for right now um, just thankful for those of you who who interacted um, and hopefully for those who listen uh, that uh, 
you'll continue to listen uh, because we think that this is a message um, and this is a podcast um, that's going to try to convey a message of hope and uh, sometimes some frustration, uh, but some positive impact in, in, in what we're trying to do and what we want to see. Uh, in other words, this podcast should be a contribution to the dialogue and a venue um, for voices to be heard. So until next time.